This talk is supported by SmallPDF, the successful Swiss scale-up making PDF easy for over a billion people around the world since 2013. You may remember them from a previous podcast we hosted with their CEO, Dennis Just. Their mission is to make PDFs and life easy for people across the world, a mission made possible with their 90-plus amazing employees across Zurich, Belgrade and Barcelona. If you want to join this fast-growing Swiss scale-up, visit smallpdf.com forward slash Swisspreneur and apply. The difference between, you know, Apple products and their competitors is, of course, you know, also, you know, like brilliant engineering, the whole supply chain, uh, operations that goes into it, also marketing, etc. But at the end of the day, I would say it's probably the design um, that really makes a difference there. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Raphael, uh, very well, welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's such a pleasure to have you here in New York City today. Yeah, great being here. We're looking out on Times Square. Could be worse for an interview setting. <laughs> You're the founder and CEO of Cron, the calendar app building the digital layer of time. Before we talk about your impressive story of building Cron and exiting Cron, I actually want to start with your personal background. Did you always know that you wanted to study computer science? I think I knew it pretty early on. Um, I was always a builder, designer, um, and software was just a medium um, that I felt is really going to shape the next few decades. Um, If I was... Uh, 12, 13 today, maybe this would look uh, different. Maybe, I, I th- still think it's a wonderful career, um, but maybe, you know, biology would be more interesting um, for, for me personally as well. Um, but yeah, uh, computer science was a great choice and um, always kind of with an eye on design, uh, you know, use that as a, as a jumping off board. Exactly. And during your studies, you actually also worked as a freelancer, as an independent designer. First of all, how did this design interest, where does that come from? Where, where did you get interested in design in the first place? Yeah, good question. I think I like to surround myself with, with beautiful objects. Um, and so it just started out by trying to imitate, um, recreating these objects and uh, kind of discerning the patterns. Well, what, what was like something that you worked and imitated in that regard? Yeah, so I was using a Windows computer at the time. Uh, Initially, I uh, started with a Macintosh uh, computer. We had one of those at home. Uh, But then during computer science studies, I remember using Linux and and Windows quite a bit back in the day, um, also for for gaming. Um, And so I was never quite happy with the the user interface there. And so I used to do a lot of skinning, um, kind of bringing the Mac aesthetics um, onto these computers. And Apple wasn't the company that it is today. Uh, It was much smaller. And so I remember kind of like downloading obscure... Um, you know, Macworld keynotes. Now you can find them all on, on, on YouTube and, you know, watch Steve Jobs kind of like presenting on the stage. But back then it was much harder to find it. And so I had like this external hard drive, like old, old Macworld keynotes and kind of took screenshots from the presentations and tried to recreate the Aqua interface, etc. Well, I, I still remember back in my childhood days, I also downloaded this software that would make your Windows computer look like a Mac computer. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were basically doing that on your own. 100%. Yeah. And also reskinning, you know, Winamp and all of these. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. The good old times. Yeah. <laughs> and what projects were you actually working on when you then were active as an independent, as a freelance designer? What were the projects that you focused on during that time? Yeah. One of the things I did was um, pretty quickly I picked up teaching. Um, and so uh, during my studies, I supported myself by going back to. Um, uh, the school that I was so so I did uh, originally I did like an apprenticeship in Switzerland with the Berufsmatura um, uh, uh, alongside it and so um, as uh, in, in undergrad I then went back and you know taught um, there's like computer science math etc kind of to support myself further I also um, just was building apps I mean uh, the iPhone SDK wasn't really out yet um, but I was already jailbreaking the phone and kind of like building things on the Mac platform on the emerging iPhone platform and then one, one of the projects was around text and so I was building a lot of prototypes uh, on novel ways to kind of like you know, write text, text editors on uh, the Mac, uh, and then um, uh, that's when I got connected, I believe, on Twitter early on 
with the guys at Information Architects, um, and they were based in Japan, but one of them, or multiple of them, were Swiss. Um, and so uh, that's kind of the origin story of Aya Writer, where during my studies I was doing a lot of prototyping for text interfaces on the Mac, um, and then the iPad got launched. Um, I went to uh, went to Tokyo for a summer during my studies, took some time off, and we um, we built uh, based on these designs from IA the first IA writer, um, and then launched it on the App Store in 2010, uh, and you know has sold millions of copies since. Um, so that was a, that was a good project during during my studies. That's amazing. And then I think you also got awarded for that. You told me when we were actually walking here, right? You were awarded for the work and the design. Yeah, there, there yeah, it definitely kind of you know uh, made some waves um, back then. It was also like a very small scene back then. Um, so this is uh, you know 2010. The App Store just recently launched um, few iPhone apps and even fewer iPad apps. And it wasn't so clear where the iPad platform would actually go in terms of kind of like interface design. The patterns weren't all explored and established yet. Um, and so I remember um, iWriter was featured in the App Store, and one of the other uh, two features was Flipboard. Um, and so they launched pretty much the same week as we did. Uh, and so uh, one of the guys working in the same to- in the same Tokyo office that I was in um, flew out to California and kind of to- told me a little bit about the backstory of Flipboard. And then um, this is a little bit jumping ahead, but you know, like half a year later, I ended up in Palo Alto myself. And basically, because of that initial connection, what sparked you to then you know go to Palo Alto, the United States, and actually work for Flipboard there? Yeah, it was multiple things. Um, so things with iWriter were going, you know, pretty well. Very exciting um, uh, journey kind of ahead. They wanted to ex- wanted to expand to many more platforms, um, and I had a great time in Tokyo, um, learning about the culture. This is, you know, before having roaming. So I was like, I remember walking through the city without like a connected phone um, and figuring things out. Like there was no word lens yet, so you know, re- really like kind of reading the street signs and um, uh, I, I really as a, as a foreigner and, and pretty alone there. I'm um, just figuring, yeah, figuring things out. And it was wonderful kind of to see Tokyo through these eyes um, and, and designing alongside, uh, you know, talented people there, meeting, meeting new people from, from fashion, interior design, and just like felt, felt like very, very uh, vibrant, the scene there. So I was very attracted to continue the work after going back to Switzerland and, and, and doing, doing my studies and finishing my studies in, in, in Bern and Biel. Um, at the Tech, um, I was very attracted to going back. But what happened was Fukushima um, in the meantime, right? So right around that time, um, the earthquake in Japan caused you know, Fukushima to, to, to blow up. And it was an uncertain time kind of uh, in, in, the, in that area. And at the same time, so that's kind of like the, you know, the, the, the hardship um, during that time. And it affected a lot of my friends um, there. Um, on the upside, uh, you know, Flipboard took notice of, of, of my work and the design uh, scene and, and the kind of iOS engineering scene, as I mentioned, was, was fairly small back then. Um, and so I started to talk to people from uh, Instagram, Pinterest, Flipboard, all tiny companies back then, right? Um, and ended up um, half a year later, so this is early 2011, um, ended up in, in Palo Alto. I've never been to the U.S. before at that point. That's quite a bold move to jump into the unknown waters of, hey, I now go and work for a U.S. company. Yeah, yeah. Instead of moving east from Switzerland, I ended up moving west. Um, and that's right, yeah. On a, on a uh, you know, Sunday night flight, um, arrived at the SFO in San Francisco. Um, remember taking a yellow cab, this pre-Uber, pre-Lyft. Uh, taking a yellow cap down to Palo Alto. And if you ever have been kind of down like that strip 101, that, uh, the highway, I was coming from, you know, the trains in Switzerland and the future, <laughs> the future of Tokyo. And I, I thought like Silicon Valley must be this place with like neon signs and, you know, everything like flying cars probably, right? Swiss boy from the Alps arriving in, in, in you know, SFO and taking a cab down to Paldo. And it was like the opposite. Right. It was like all like strip malls and like auto body shops. And it looked quite, uh, quite kind of grungy. Um, and so, so on a Sunday night, arrived down in Palo Alto, checked into the Cowper Inn, kind of like a folksy little inn. Um, and yeah, just, just, you know, slept for a solid eight hours there and then walked down Monday morning just the street uh, down to Emerson Street and knocked on the garage door that Flipboard was in and, and picked up work the next morning. Please tell us a bit more about these early days in Palo Alto. So 2011, I think that was about the time when yep. you arrived there. H- how was it to work for this garage startup Flipboard that many of us know these days, of course, 
But back then it was different. How were these early days? How was your, your work there? How was the team? How was the environment? What did you take away? Yeah, as I mentioned, everything was much smaller. Um, Apple was much smaller. I think the market cap of Microsoft was considerably, uh, ch ch check me on that, but it still felt like Apple is like very much the underdog, Microsoft much bigger. Um, the, whole, the whole scene, the tech scene was much, much smaller. Um, uh, Flipboard was, uh, so, so Flipboard was, was, was in, in downtown Palo Alto, just a few blocks off of uh, University Avenue where Google had their first office. Um, so, and, and two, a couple blocks in the other direction is where the HP, the Hewlett Packard yeah, garage was. Garage, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that, you know, that garage basically like that started the whole Silicon Valley uh, scene next to Stanford there. And so it, fe it felt very, to me at least, it felt very, um, you know, fresh now looking back, um, still kind of nascent. Um, and, you know, Facebook was still on the Stanford campus, um, just, you know, 10 minutes from, from, from us. Um, they, you know, were maybe 400 people at that point. And we, we used to go there for lunch and, you know, meet kind of the early Facebook uh, uh, crew. And it was not clear that Facebook would be this huge company. Um, I think F Facebook and Twitter were, were about the same size in terms of user numbers at that time. Yeah. yeah. And we know the rest is history, right? Yeah. And maybe most notably also for me personally, um, you know, Steve Jobs was still alive. Um, and that to me was always like a big draw to be so close to, you know, one of my idols. Um, and I remember like we, we would always like, you know, te text each other, Slack didn't exist really. We would like text each other or email each other in turn. It's like, oh, you know, like Steve is at the Whole Foods. Like we were like, <laughs> we were uh, on the corner um, of Emerson Street uh, where there was like a Whole Foods that, you know, he, he liked to go to just like for his per personal shopping. And of course we wouldn't like never like, you know, encroach on him. But, you know, we were kind of like, oh, Steve is at Whole Foods again. And we'd like go get our kombucha and stand in line <laughs> um, to maybe, you know, do, do like a little Steve sighting. Um, um, and a lot of, of, of the people that I, I worked with um, worked directly with him um, before. He also visited the, the, our, our garage, um, Flipboard, um, and, uh, and I, I actually ended up living um, very close, uh, basically on, on Santa Rita Avenue, um, where, where his house is. Very, um, you know, very nice neighborhood, but uh, still kind of like a modest house, like not a mansion. Um, and so being there, knowing that, you know, Steve Jobs leaves like, basically like, you know, sleeps like, you know, 10 houses over on the same block like that was still like gave me some adventurous energy uh that was was uh was just very special during that time certainly a very special vibe and yep. great timing in that regard you mentioned you also looked at other companies like instagram for example some companies that have become mega successes afterwards do you regret making the decision to not go and work for them in hindsight yeah look like um, if you're long enough in this uh, in this scene, you always like everyone has a story where they didn't join. You know, right. like the thing that you know became became huge. Um, you know, it's like I was uh, talking to WhatsApp when they were in in in, in, uh, in Mountain View. Um, you know, it's like as a first designer, um, they were they were tiny. Um, and uh, and some of the other companies, like you know, Instagram uh, was just the two founders, and um, you know. Uh, in the, you know, in the years since, I've gotten to know them a little bit better. And one of the co-founders, Mike Krieger, um, is, is now was was a user of Cron and congratulated me on you know the uh, the, the the recent acquisition. And this is like fast forwarding a few years. But uh, so so you know, like um, it was great get, getting connected to these people. But um, I think you should never really re regret any of these decisions. Um, I had a wonderful years um, at Flipboard and met so many people that impacted, you know, my career and, and you know, future choices tremendously, learned so much. And, uh, you know, a bunch of them ended up, you know, being at my wedding. So really like, you know, friends for life. Great. Yeah, that's probably something you cannot like miss out on. You know, that's like the best that can happen. 100%. You then also spent still a bit time between the US and, and Switzerland and went, went back to also freelancing again, right? I think in 2017, so why was that then also the right step for you to go more towards the independent design work again to do your own things before then starting your own company? Yeah, a really um, kind of significant chapter in between there was when I left Silicon Valley after um, about four and a half years temporarily um, to go to from the West Coast to the East Coast. And I uh, went to the MIT Media Lab um, to both do um, a graduate degree um, as well as research. Uh, and the MIT Media Lab is like this 
this candy store for design technologists um, where you know every James Bond movie has a scene where James Bond goes into the lab of Q, right? And yeah. there's like robots crawling on the floor and like new gadgets and fire and explosions left and right. And that's what I felt when I first walked into the MIT Media Lab. Um, it's really like a space that you know calls itself not just interdisciplinary but anti-disciplinary. Like really like open, not just combining existing fields but opening up completely new fields. Have a architect and a classically trained musician and a you know sensor specialist work shoulder to shoulder and see what they come up with. Have a molecular biologist and you know someone from the arts and maybe a you know generative computer. Um, uh, designer, uh, you know, come up with new patterns for, I don't know, like some new shoe foam or something like that. Um, so it really felt, you know, like a special place that it just had to be there. Um, and so uh, I was, um, yeah, I was, was super excited to uh, be there as both um, a researcher as well as, um, as a grad student. And that's what I did there for uh, two years. Um, took classes at MIT and cross-registered to Harvard as well, became a TA, a teaching assistant for some of the classes as well. One of the most memorable classes was uh, called How to Make Almost Anything, um, where you learn how to make almost anything, um, and it's super intense. Um, the principal investigators do not like if their if their uh, uh, research assistants take this class because it's like a hundred-hour commitment per week wow. over a whole semester. Um, but learned so much and produced so much, had so much output. Um, during those two years, got to hang out with the with the guys that invented processing. Um, uh, this is a language that allows you to very uh, uh, exploratively and creatively, um, through code, uh, create generative art. Which now, of course, with NFTs, you know, years later, kind of has you know a new, um, a whole new wave behind it. Um, and so, just really you know, hanging out with these kind of coming from the entrepreneurial world, kind of more. Um, you know, more kind of like the West, California is all about kind of like create, creating like, the, you know, the spirit of creating new things. Whereas the East Coast to me and MIT and Harvard and, you know, that whole area felt much more about like, you know, book smart and re like in conversations, you would not talk about the next social mobile app. You would actually kind of more, um, you know, cite the paper and, um, and, and talk about books and all of that. And having, having um, you know, been exposed to, to that for two years kind of changed changed my design practice quite a bit and I was um, just broadening up uh, quite a bit, uh, being interested in, in, in different things. You had your experience, right? You worked for Flipboard, you worked for other companies before, you had your design experience, but then you decided to basically go back to the educational part to train and shape your design skills even further. Do you think that this was a, a necessary step that you were looking out for to then take the next step in your career? or? Was it also, you know, mainly out of pure interest and being able to play around in the lab and with all these cool gadgets? It's probably more the latter. Um, yeah. You know, looking back, you can always kind of like connect connect the dots. Um, uh, so looking forward, it's always a little bit difficult. Um, you know, where will this this lead? But you know, generally just kind of like trying to do interesting things and follow my nose. You know, what's uh, what's in, and try to you know have high output, produce a lot of things, hopefully of value. Yeah. And you then decided to launch your own company. In 2020, you started Cron, basically. Legend has it that the Cron idea actually came when you and a friend of yours hacked a calendar extension. So can you talk <laughs> a bit more about that, these early days, about the hack of that calendar extension? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the... It's, it's always interesting where, you know, the overnight successes that, you know, were five years in the making, right? Yeah, it's like, so when I sent out the announcement about, um, you know, the next chapter for Cron, um, you know, some people, including, I think, you, you know, it's like, oh, wow, that was, that was, that was, that was quick, congrats. Um, but, you know, like, like, yeah, the overnight successes, you know, typically kind of five to ten, ten years in the making. So after MIT, did a whole bunch of different things, um, but one of them for quite a long time, I was stepping through the idea maze. Um, and this, this, this process of stepping through the idea maze before incorporating, before, um, you know, going and writing, you know, the first production level um, line of code, creating the first actual design that ends up in the actual app, um, is, is, is a long time of just kind of exploring, user research, tinkering around with things like smashing things together and seeing what kind of falls apart um, and what comes out of it. And one of the things I did during that time was I, I noticed that... Um, when things got really, really busy, be it um, during kind of my day-to-day -day 
working um, or as a researcher trying to balance kind of both academic duties as well as, you know, uh, kind of like the, the research. Um, the only thing that I could kind of rely on at the end of the day was my calendar. Um, so it, nothing got done unless it was on my calendar. You're laughing right now. <laughs> um, so, so I thought like the calendar is kind of like an underexplored tool in my daily productivity kind of tool chest. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that people around me really love their calendar, but they hate their calendaring software. And so everyone around me kind of like, and this is not just you know, researchers or other designers, but this is also kind of people from completely other fields, from the humanities or high achievers in sports or whatever. And they were just religious about their calendar, but all kind of hated their calendaring software. And they were you know, quote unquote, hacking their experience by installing all sorts of extensions and third party apps and use, you know, different tools to kind of like cobble together what, what I thought, you know, could become potentially kind of a next generation countering experience. Um, and so I contributed to this ecosystem where I was not happy with, with the experience I had. And um, basically, you know, like Dom hacked into the Google Calendar um, with an extension. I'm changing kind of the UI. I basically printed out a screenshot of Google calendar just like with a red marker like marked up everything that I thought was um, bad and not optimal and um, and then started to kind of hack into it and building extension and you know trying things out um, which is a really really interesting time and one of the things um, you asked specifically about that one extension was I always thought that there's um, when I look at my calendar there's a lot of empty space. There's a lot of white. If I scroll all the way up, like why is there all like why is there all this empty space between you know midnight and 8 a.m. or between kind of like 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. It's not a really efficient use of, of the screen real estate, especially kind of make the window bigger. And so the the little thing that my extension did was letting you collapse the empty hours in the morning and in the evening. And this is just like a little thing that I wanted. Um, one of like 20 things that I marked up on that screenshot right. with the red marker. And I believe it was, kind of, it was hard to bring it from one computer to the other computer. So um, just put it on the, uh, we put it on the App Store, on the Google Marketplace Store without really like any marketing or anything. And then pretty much like overnight, it had 10,000 um, weekly active users. Wow. I was like, wow, there's something there. Yeah. Let me actually put some other projects I had on hold and really pull that thread. And that's when the whole journey towards YC started. Well, I love that for two reasons. First of all, because you're basically solving your own problem. You said, this is not working the way I imagined it to be. I want to make it better for your own needs, basically. And the second thing, you build traction without even really focusing on it. You just like build a small solution that you used yourself, and then you got initial traction. That sort of led you the way, oh, there might be something there. Let's explore that further. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just build, build stuff and get it out there. I, I think that's really the best way to, to start anything. And then actually mentioned YC, Y Combinator. You went through the Winter 20 batch. So how did the selection process there happen? You said you had some initial traction to 10,000 uh, active users there. Did it then just like reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? What, what happened there? Yeah. Um, so... At this point, we are already like, you know, over a year in the journey, right? And it's, 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 it's now end of 2019, right? So, so um, that's kind of where, where I consider, you know, somewhere like 2017, 18 is kind of where the clock for Cron basically like, you know, started. Um, and so now it's like, you know, 20, 2019. And I've done a, a bunch of like user research in the meantime also. And it wasn't, it wasn't clear that it was a calendar. I was interested in kind of AI guided, you know, uh, productivity, to-do <laughs> lists, you know, it's like explored a lot of different things and built quite a bit of, um, you know, prototypes there. But it was really like that browser extension that gave me the conviction to, um, to answer a few questions um, basically for myself. So YC, uh, Winter 2020 batch, um, was already, uh, it was already over, it was already closed, um, the application. Uh, process, but I thought the questions um, that they have, and this is still the original—I don't know—like original eight questions that PG Paul Graham, the founder of, of Y Combinator, you know, wrote down like I don't know, 15 years ago. It's still the same questions. I thought they're so poignant, they're so good and honest. I can't remember them top of my head right now, but they're basically like, you know, where do you get your first users from? Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's just like very, very sort of like 
clear uh, questions that really make you think like okay so if if I don't know who's my buyer, who are the first 10 users, then maybe I'm in the, um, the founder problem fit is maybe, or the founder market fit is maybe not right, right? And so I took these questions um, and uh, really sat down for about two, three days um, in Bern um, and just blocked out the time to answer these questions for myself. What would it look like uh, in, this, in this calendaring space? And um, so I knew that the deadline was already passed but uh, really, you know, invested in this exercise and felt really, really good coming out of this exercise. Like, there's really something there. I want to get this going now, and I wanted to, um, you know, do this with, with a co-founder, co-founder team, etc. Um, and so I started talking to a few friends back from MIT, back from the Silicon Valley years, etc. Um, some people in Switzerland, and wanted to basically you know, get something going. Um, and uh, timing didn't quite align, and I, I flew out to, to California to have a few conversations, and timing didn't quite align, um, but I really wanted to start with a founding team. Um, but then at the end of the day, I was like, let's, let's get this going. So I submitted um, this late to IC, and they, um, they reached out when I was in California, like, hey, um, we're actually wrapping up our interviews in Paris right now. Um, you're from Switzerland. Um, so hop on a train, come over, and we're going to you know, interview you. This is really interesting to us. And um, they didn't know that I was in California at sure. the time. <laughs> so, so I headed back to Switzerland, took a TGV over to Paris, um, you know, took the interview with, with uh, Dalton and, and a couple other partners. Uh, it was very intimidating, kind of having like a bunch of partners kind of lined up on one side of the table and me, the solo founder, you know, no team, no product, no company, um, no, no landing page, nothing on the other side of the table. Um, but I basically like walked them through, you know, like that exercise that I did for those three days and kind of like, like, hey, look, like, you know, I think nothing really has happened in this space. I think, you know, there's a billion people using calendar. Um, I think time is the most valuable resource we have. And here are the things I hacked together in the past few months. And here are a couple new prototypes and sketches that I did on Dejave here. Um, and so I'm excited to get, you know, get going and I'm going to do this, you know, with or without YC. Um, thanks for your time. Bye. <laughs> and that was the interview. Well, quite, quite a nice pitch. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? What convinced them? I mean, it's hard to say that from, from your perspective because you're the founder, but what convinced them? Was it the market? Was it your design skills, the traction, probably a mix of all of them? I don't know. It was probably a mix. Um, but... They definitely like demonstrating that you can build stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really know, but Dalton called me, you know, um, pretty much right after that. It's like, hey, we think this could be huge. Um, come out to California. We're starting the batch in a few weeks. And that was, you know, uh, that was December 2019. And uh, so I followed the call and, uh, and uh, rented out my apartment in Bern at the time. And, uh, you know, went back to, went back to California for, yeah, it was like January 2020. Before we talk about that experience, I quickly want to focus on the market because the calendar market, you know, it's, it's very crowded. There are so many apps out there, so many solutions. Yeah. You always saw what you would do differently, what didn't exist in the market yet to give you the experience that you were seeking, basically. Were you never discouraged that it's such a crowded market that yet another solution is probably not going to make any difference? Yeah, not at all. I mean, if you look at the calendars... Um, uh, the, from from the incumbents, you know, it's like Apple, Microsoft, Google. Um, there hasn't really been any, any innovation since Lotus One Two Three at all, right? Um, what what Google did um, was basically taking Microsoft and putting it on the web. Uh, so it's more a technology kind of platform move, but not really like a use case uh, move um, or I- innovating the product, the use case. Um, and and so there has been quite a bit of innovation in the calendaring space adjacent to kind of the core calendars. Mm-hmm. So things like Calendly, kind of like the whole um, culture around sending booking links and opening up your calendar availability. Um, there has been more innovation in adjacent spaces to calendars um, around kind of optimization. So team internal kind of optimizations of your of your uh, team's times, mm-hmm. for example, clockwise. Um, uh, and a bunch of other like kind of smaller innovations kind of adjacent um, to, to the core calendars. And my thesis is always like, hey, let's do the hard thing first. Let's build a calendar. Um, and then all these 
you know, pretty big companies um, like Calendly, for example, they seem more like a feature to me. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we can basically just, once we have the calendar, we can roll these out as a feature. Um, so I was never worried um, about monetization because all these, you know, scheduling, etc., features, they demonstrated that it's, uh, it's it, you know, people are very used um, to pay kind of the typical, you know, $15, $20 per seat per month SaaS price for, for these extra services. Yeah. Well, that, that's really... I love it when this happens in any of you. It's like a new perspective on the world. Something that nobody ever thought before, probably before of you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so you then flew to San Francisco for the YC batch. What was your experience like? What did you take away from the YC experience? Yeah, it was great. So, so this is pre-pandemic um, and uh, YC is really a great place to get started. Um, it is truly a startup accelerator. I think, um, you know, uh, it's not an incubator. It's not, you know, anything you couldn't get online. All the resources are online. What it does is it really just accelerates you. Um, it puts you in a room with a bunch of other people that have the same goal, you know, it's like, you know, make as much progress as possible over the course of 10 weeks. And then at the end of the day, or at the end of those 10 weeks, um, you get a bunch of VCs from Silicon Valley and elsewhere into a room and all these founders into a room and, you know, they get to pitch and then there's some matchmaking and then you're off to the races. Um, that was the plan, but then the <laughs> pandemic hit. Um, so... Initially, um, the first few weeks, it was still, you know, dinners down in, in, in Mountain View twice a week. Um, I was living up in San Francisco because I knew the city well, had, you know, friends there, and I was working out of the AWS loft um, and had a little wee work there as well. Um, and it was just, you know, a cranking. And I kind of had to, be, because I was a solo founder, I kind of had to be like Batman. So like, you know, it was basically like, uh, you know, doing, doing sales and customer discovery during the day and coding and designing at night. And that was just like, that was my cycle for, for the first, you know, couple months. Um, it was pretty intense. I just went like all, you know, just really like all in, dropped everything else. Um, and uh, and was mostly kind of um, talking to other YC founders as my as my early customers because they're my perfect kind of target audience. Sure. Um, and so pretty quickly, um, kind of you know took Google Calendar, turned into like pro mode, put it in like an Electron app, um, and started selling it for you know ten bucks a pop. And you know it was like I had other founders like sign up and pretty quickly like you know went to to market validation. Um, and uh, and starting started to, to use some of the funds that YC gave me to um, hire some contractors. Uh, and so, yeah, that was the first few weeks. Really, yeah, speeding you up, as you said. Yeah. Was there something that surprised you from going through the YC program? Um, just the... Uh, I mean, the 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 energy. I don't know whether I was surprised by that, but the energy is, is really, really fantastic. Um, maybe one of the... <laughs> stunning more than surprising but one of the stunning things is that um, the first welcome day um, of YC everyone gets together or got together in, in one in, in the big orange room they call it in in, in, uh, in Mountain View and um, you just look statistically like I don't know it was maybe like it was about 200 companies, something like that, so like 500 founders, 400 founders, something like that. And statistically, you knew that you're in the same room you know, with at least, five, you know, 10, 10 unicorns and probably like three decacorns and probably not next Mark Zuckerberg is in this room, yeah. right? Um, uh, I don't know exactly kind of like the, the, the statistics, but if you just kind of look at the successes of the batches and all the new companies being created, like there must be kind of like one of the next, uh, you know, Stripe, Colson Brothers, or, you know, the next Brian Chesky or next Mark Cyber is like probably here in this room. Uh, you know, could be the guy next to me, could be the girl next to me, could be me, I don't know. Um, and so, so that, is, that is very stunning, that energy. Does that also have a negative impact sometimes that you feel a lot of pressure um, I think I uh, do pretty well with pressure. So for me, it didn't have a, a negative impact, but I can see how maybe for some people um, that uh, there's, there's a bit of peer pressure. On the other hand, you kind of maneuvered yourself into that uh, specific kind of situation. If you know that you're maybe um, 
rather take more time or just work a little bit differently at a different pace, uh, such as, for example, like, I don't know, maybe like you're bootstrapping, which doesn't mean that you're moving slower, um, but maybe it's just like a different different pace, different gear, um, different scene, uh, then this would maybe not be, uh, you know, what I would recommend. Um, but but I think, you know, there's, there's really people from all walks of life there, um, you know, people of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds, and so, um, there's not everyone looks like like you or me there um so so everyone's a very good thing yeah yeah yeah. this episode is sponsored by startup nights 2022 on november 3rd and 4th you'll have the chance to showcase your startup get inspired meet investors and network with like-minded peers at the sixth annual edition of startup nights in vintage Check out startup-nights.ch to learn more and register for the event. You actually launched Cron in a semi-stealth mode. So you basically hand out invitations in exchange for feedback. Why was that the right launch strategy for you? Instead of, you know, going full-blown marketing launch and big press releases and paid advertising campaigns, etc. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I really thought I wanted to optimize on learning. And so I had this, like, because we had, like, a pretty big waiting list, um, because we did have some initial kind of, like, marketing success, um, like, you know, words just kind of, I mean, it was not marketing, it was more like just the word, you know, made the rounds on Twitter. It's like, hey, I'm using Cron, it's yeah. like amazing. <laughs> um, and so that just kind of, like, you know, worked its magic. And, uh, and so we had a pretty long waiting list. And so what I decided to do was basically I had this, like, fine, find knob where I could just turn how many people I would, you know, want to let in um, every, you know, day or week. Um, And initially this was really like on the order of, you know, a handful of people a day because I wanted to talk to every single one, um, you know, during onboarding because a lot of stuff didn't quite work yet. And it's like a lot of hand wavy stuff. Um, and then also after the first day, like, hey, you know, are you actually going back to, you know, your incumbent solution? What was the most valuable feature? And so really tight hand holding. And I would, you know, fix box. Like sometimes like I would just like prop my laptop right next up to them and like immediately like fi- fix the, change the thing that they were were, were telling me is like hey you know hit command r and boom it was already like on their on their labs like extremely quickly iterations and so had i you know spent a bunch of time kind of like preparing a marketing page and then seeing like you know hundreds or thousands of people sign up and then they like you know sort of use your product but don't quite stick with it you know they sort of like it but don't really love it they wouldn't actually pay for it like i wanted to avoid that i really just wanted to you know know exactly what's working what isn't working and would they actually pay for it um and so Initially, it was, you know, just a few people a day, then maybe ramped up to like tens of people a day and then later wrapped up to like hundreds of people a day. And so I always kind of kept, you know, as I had more help, more people on the team, um, I could kind of like increase that number and still absorb, kind of keep keep the bandwidth high from our end. And so I still wanted to be tuned into all the different conversations. I still wanted to know, just like on day one, when I was actually sitting next to them with the laptop, um, I still wanted to know, okay, so 100 new people, like how, what features are they using? Um, You know, more at scale now with instrumentation, you know, kind of like amplitude and whatnot. But I still want to know exactly kind of like, what is the user journey look like? Where do they turn? Like, what is is the most valuable feature? What do they come back back for? And so um, that's how I think I navigated pretty quickly to product market fit. Yeah, staying very close to users and absorbing their feedback. Sometimes I can imagine having that set up, it can also be very difficult to then prioritize what you're gonna build and what feedback is actually valuable for you to build into the product and what something is that you should just not build into the product. Say, good idea, but probably not a good fit. How do you make this differentiation? Yeah, I always kind of uh, picked about 50% um, uh, fulfilling user requests and 50% just executing on my vision. Okay. Well, that sounds simple. <laughs> I can imagine it's a bit more tough, uh, tougher in, in practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always need to, you know, let some fires burn, um, uh, prioritize ruthlessly. Of course, you know, uh, anything that is a operational, you know, kind of DevOps, like a service are down, like that, that stuff, sure. like you, you just jump on. If there's like a serious bug, data loss, like that's like you, you drop every roadmap for that. Sure. Um, but then when it comes kind of to like working on your roadmap and like what makes the roadmap, I found the sort of like half half rule of, yeah, it's like do 50% of what users kind of ask you to do. Mm-hmm. So they kind of like almost pull 
pull the product out of you yeah. if you just build what they want, right? But sure. then like curate it very carefully. Otherwise you're kind of, you know, just attach, like attaching a bunch of features to a non-cohesive picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so half of the time really execute on, on your vision. What do you want? Why are you building this? What do you want it to become? Let's also talk about some other challenges. You're a solo founder. You mentioned before you sort of had to be Batman to do it all, you know, yourself in the early days. Solo founder, is that something that you would recommend that you do again, looking back at your journey now? Yeah, as I mentioned, I didn't set out um, to found Cron solo. Um, and it wasn't for the lack of trying um, to kind of like, you know, have, have, have a, a, a team of co-founders. I really love working in teams. Um, but it was just like the timing where um, I just wanted to get going. And, sure. um, and so um, that was kind of the backstory there. Um, I think there's advantages and disadvantages. Um, I, I formulate, I, would I do it again? You know, like, I mean, it's working out, so yes. But um, would I recommend it? I don't know. But yeah. I did formulate some thoughts on that. I don't know yet whether they are, you know, like accurate. But mm-hmm. one thought that kind of crossed my mind over the past few years was solo founding something in the very, very early days might have some benefits because I was just so quick because I never had to talk to anyone. Like everything just happened like in one, in one brain, like sure. super high bandwidth. Like I just could observe something um, from a customer and then I could just, you know, observe it. Didn't have to talk to anyone, just synthesize it, come up with an idea, put it in design, put it in the code, you know, ship it, tell them to hit command R. It was like, there was like, it was a single loop. And I did that so many times, so quickly. Um, that really started to compound extremely quickly in the beginning. And so even just having, you know, three co-founders there kind of like, okay, so what did you hear? What should we do? Where's the design? Can you build it? I think that like that iteration speed going from like, okay, this took 20 minutes to like, this took two days, multiply that by a hundred. It just gets you to a completely different place after, you know, a week, right? Um, And so, in the very, very early days, kind of like building the earliest prototypes, earliest things, I, I now think maybe kind of like solo, kind of spearheading that might actually be quite good. Then I think really building kind of like the early team and, and kind of like the seed stage company, I think is quite hard as a solo founder personally. I know other people that did that quite um, well as a, as a solo founder, but I really think I would, would love to have co-founders during that phase. And then, um, sort of like later stage, I think in the end there's typically like kind of one founder, if it's a co-founding team or solo founder, it's like the founder, like that kind of crystallizes to be like the one kind of like CEO or just like the one kind of founder at the helm. It's like if you look at the public companies, it's typically like kind of like one person that really ended up running the company. Um, and so I think um, being a solo founder then, you know, makes that very easy, like who it is. Sure. So in my mind, the TLDR here is that at the very, very beginning, solo founder is kind of neat. And eventually it's kind of like one person again, most of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that middle part, uh, probably like a co-founding team is really awesome. But look, like both can work in both cases. Sure. I mean, there are many examples, you know, in Absolutely. both setups. Yeah. yeah. Another thing I want to talk about is you started in the US as a Swiss guy, you know, coming from the Berner Oberland. Yeah. How do you actually make it in the United States with your startup company? How do you find the right people, the right talent, the right starting point? Because you, for example, you attracted top tier investors. You raised a 3.5 million seed round with people like Gary Tan or Ella Chill, Jeff Weiner, etc. Like top notch people invested in your company. That's quite difficult I can imagine to come to the United States as a Swiss guy without any network at first to then get these people to invest in you yeah um, you know I never felt at a huge disadvantage or or advantage be being 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 Swiss um, uh, just uh, you know do as your mother told you is like be nice uh, work hard uh, and uh, you know create valuable things and uh, people will notice um, and so yeah over over the you know kind of my my, my decade or so in, in Silicon Valley it's always uh, yeah uh, yeah met people and um, yeah, for for example you know one of the uh, C-Station investors in Cron uh, um, was an intern at Flipboard and he's now you know running huge SaaS company Figma um, Hi, Dylan. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, it's like, um, yeah. 
you also have to get to know these people, right? Or is it more that the word spreads if you build something valuable, if you build something that people want to use or see potential in? Yeah, I think you know n- nobody will or should invest just because you're friends or get along or something like that. So yeah, it's definitely kind of it's both sides. Um, uh, an existing network, of course, is valuable already knowing some of the people. Um, but then you got to build something of va- value and really paint an exciting uh, vision. Uh, on top of that, I think so. I raised the seed run for Cron in March and April 2020. Right, so. So actually, our YC batch got cut in, got cut short. Um, there was no demo day, um, and uh, and it hasn't transitioned to to remote yet. Like March 2020, um, we're all just like figuring out Zoom, basically, if we remember, you know. And um, and so one of the things during that time when I raised the seed was. I very quickly kind of like switch tack. I realized like, okay, this is not happening anymore, and I went on this like crazy 100 hours of like basically no sleep, take all the calls, like Zoom, let's go out and race this round. Um, and one of the things um, I just adapted very quickly is like, I was like, hey, like, look, um, we're building software for the future uh, workplace. Um, so this is not only a bad thing, this new reality, this might actually be an opportunity in, I believe in Chinese and Japanese, the 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 uh, the kanji, like the, the sign for um, crisis, is the same as for opportunity, and I, I love that a lot. And so I was was um, you know it's kind of like saying like hey like there's there's definitely like uh, you know light at the end of the tunnel. Right now we're all figuring this out, mm-hmm. but I believe um, this is a big opportunity. And also just like kind of projecting personally, everyone was rightly so kind of like freaking out I was like I think we you know got this I'm gonna you know do good work here and uh, and I, 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 I got this so let's let's go and so that's uh, how the seed run came together and in your case how did, did you get the network the introduction to these very high profile people did you know them from Flipboard before is with the Figma founder or was YC helpful or how did you do that how did you pull that off yeah so so typically YC is very helpful during the demo day, but because that didn't happen, right. I kind of felt more on my own. They helped with kind of like, you know, some strategies in terms of like how to put together round, etc. But in terms of like intros, that all happened um, a little bit more on my own and, and through kind of the network. Um, I never, I never had, I didn't have time to put a seed, seed uh, deck together. So I raced the entire round without a deck. Um, it was all just conversations telling them, you know, it's like what I've built in the past few weeks and months and kind of how I thought about this problem space over the past few years. Um, screen shared my screens like, hey, look, here's what I built. This is a demo of the product is today. You know, wrote first line of code in January. We're, we're now mid-March. This is what it is. Um, and I just gave them a product demo and, you know, showed them where, where this will go in the next few years. And, um, and then, you know, signed the DocuSign and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, race around that way. Um, uh, it also happened still like pretty, it's still an in-personal business still. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I still had like coffees at, you know, Sight Glass down in, you know, in Soma. It's like, got, I think I got the first angel check there. And then on the, on the ride chair, you know, ride home, I got like another call. And, and it's like, hey, you know, like Gary wants to meet with you. And then, you know, like this person heard. And it's like, oh, there's this other person. And it's like going to be Monday morning meeting with Sequoia. And it's like, you know, there's, there's like things happen very quickly. And there's a lot of still kind of like in-person and... You know, it's like, meet me, you know, you know, at the bar day. Like, it's still like, still, like, still like a small scene. And I did feel there was still like a good, good amount of um, advantage actually being there and actually kind of like meeting with the people, etc. So, yes, it was, you know, a lot over Zoom. And these days, even more so, you can definitely raise your seed round from anywhere. Um, but I felt there was still an advantage of having met at least once some of these right. people in person. Yeah. And your slide deck was basically the product. Yes, exactly. No, no, no slides. It was just like, hey, let me, you know, quickly, you know, share the screen. Can you, can you see the screen? All right. Um, here's what I built, or you know, what, what I and the team, team started to build, and here's where we're going. Here's a bunch of sketches. Uh, what it's going to look, look like in the future, and, uh, and yeah, exactly. So that Super was valuable. That, that was yeah. that was the pitch. Well, in general, like even even with you know, if I had the time to prepare a deck, of course I would. Um, but even then, I wouldn't let the, a deck get in between you know, the entrepreneur and the investor. Um, it's something you kind of like inject in between two people wanting to have a conversation, getting to know one another. So I would still recommend not starting necessarily with a deck, a conversation. 
great perspective. And talking about leverage, so in that regard, your product was the leverage to attract the the investors, basically. Your design skills, your design of Cron is can also be seen as a leverage to attract users to do the user acquisition part for you because it's an amazing product, something that they have never seen before. And therefore, word spreads, they invite their friends, their co-workers to also use Cron. Do you agree on that view that design, great design can be a very powerful leverage for user acquisition? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look, look at Apple, for example, right? Um, uh, uh, the difference between um, you know, Apple products and their competitors is, of course, you know, also you know, like brilliant engineering, the whole supply chain, uh, operations that goes into it, also marketing, etc. But at the end of the day, I would say it's probably the design. Um, that really makes a difference there. Uh, and, um, and I believe uh, for software, that's, that's the same. So one thing that I'm also particularly interested in is your business model. You didn't really monetize Cron, but you mentioned before you saw different add-ons like you know, Calendly, etc., where people pay for add-ons for services that you could build in your product. Was that your monetization strategy or what else did you have planned to monetize Cron and build a sustainable business around it? Yeah, to me, it was always very clear from the beginning that I wanted to not make Cron like a tool, like a, a, almost like luxury tech. There's like a little bit of a trend. Some of the tools kind of like more you know, luxury tech. It's like very expensive only for individuals. I always wanted to make it something accessible to, you know, as many people as possible, a billion people, right? Um, and... Um, there's, there's, for, for example, there's the uh, the Eames Design uh, Studio of Charles and Ray, Ray Eames that uh, you know design famous chairs, etc. And you know a lot of people now know them for like their fancy you know launch chair with the ottomans, like you know seven thousand Swiss francs or or dollars or something like that. But actually, the ethos of their studio was the best for the most for the least. Or, or the best for the least for the most. Mm-hmm. But basically what it means is, you know, we want to have the best, like the best quality, you know, materials, processes, etc. We want to um, have it for, 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 for the most people. We want to really like, you know, have everyone access to it. And so hence we want it, you know, for the least, uh, the least amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they uh, came up with new ways of bending plywood, which is considered more like a cheap material, right? Um, and that was always, that really always hit home for me. Like I want to make, you know, the best for the most for the least. Um, and what that means um, in software, because we have, you know, basically like 0% marginal cost, right? You just add a bunch of servers. Um, but it's really all in the R&D, um, in the development of the product. But once you have it, you can basically, you know, whether one person or a billion people use it, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you don't have to use, you know, resources of the earth. Um, and so I was always attracted by this, this idea, always wanted to kind of give the core away for free. Um, and then so a very clear path to monetization with some of these, um, these extra services that professionals and teams were already used to pay for. Yeah, wonderful. And why did you decide to not charge anything from the beginning? Well, so actually I flipped it around. Like I intend to not charge um, for that exact reason because I want to make it accessible. But I actually did charge in the very, very early days because I wanted to keep the barrier extremely high um, uh, so that I can really get honest answers from, 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 from you know, people uh, churning. And is this really worth, you know, $10 a month or, or 15 or whatever? So the only money that I ever charged um, that that Cron ever had as a revenue was from the earliest days and then I turned that off over time and it just became became uh, uh, freemium at that point or or even just completely free right we didn't have plans yet and now if we look at this year in 2022 you then got acquired by Notion you know like many people was like wow that was like super fast exit as you heard, it was a bit longer in the making than we see from the outside. First of all, tell us a bit how you met Notion co-founder Ivan. I think you had a, a great first conversation when you met in the beginning. Yeah, it was, it was again, kind of one of those, um, you know, it's just uh, uh, being in San Francisco, having coffee, you know, that person, this person, and then, you know, things kind of 
you know, one, one thing leads to another. It was, it was another one of those where um, I, was, uh, I was in San Francisco because <clears throat> Cron was basically, you know, uh, uh, designed in Switzerland, built in California. And so my team was out there, Mountain View, San Francisco. And um, I was always very frequently there, even, even during the pandemic. Um, and uh, was in, at the beginning of, 20, of this year, I was um, was in San Francisco, and one of my investors uh, was uh, was connecting uh, Ivan, the co-founder of, of Notion, and me, um, just you know for coffee. And you know, we we were both. I think it, it even started earlier, actually, when when Ivan and I were on an email thread, just like, hey, you know, it's like I'm a DAU of your product. Like, hey, I'm a DAU of your product. Love your product. Love your product. And so um, that's how how it started, I believe. It's like. Yeah, so I don't know exactly where the genesis is, but in the end, we ended up getting coffee, and um, and we just you know hit it off. We're jamming on design, very similar background, um, you know, both design engineers, coding and designing, and um, and felt that not just did we get along extremely well on a personal level, um, but. Uh, I was interested in, in building, so, so our users were asking us for integrations with Notion um, uh, anyway. So I was curious, kind of like, hey, could they maybe give us some like private API access or something? Um, and then, you know, Ivan was obviously very interested in kind of like the time component mm-hmm. uh, anyway, like even, even without Cron, right? So we were kind of like interested in each other's um, areas uh anyway and then once we got together uh, we also realized a little bit like what's the alignment of our mission and, and vision etc and so for Cron you know it's always like I want to live in a world where everyone makes the most of their time um, and so with Cron I really want to build you know the software that can move us a little bit closer to that you know world where everyone can make the most of their time whatever it means uh, to them starting by building the very best next generation calendar um, and so leading to then build the kind of time layer of the internet that's kind of like the, the 10 year mission for Cron. And for Notion, it's really all about making software tool making ubiquitous. Um, so being able to have all these primitives, um, all these Lego bricks, and letting people assemble them uh, in, in ways to you know, build new, new software. You know, there's um, only like a few million software engineers in the world, kind of people that can actually like, you know, kind of you know, create, mold the tools that we, we use. Um, but there's you know, billions of people that are using software. So how can we kind of like flip that around? How can we you know, let more people make the tools that they are using? Um, and so, you know, time is one of those very fundamental Lego bricks for these kind of things. You're like, you know, you have tables, you have you know, time, you have uh, the word, the, the written word, the page, kind of documents, um, databases, and, and all sorts of things. And so, it kind of felt very aligned, like how we were thinking about things. And uh, Chronomes felt like a, a Notion to me felt like a superset. Um, of what I wanted to accomplish with with Cron, mm-hmm. um, so I uh, felt very ambitious, um, kind of vague but ambitious, and uh, and so uh, so I was I was a fan. When was the first moment that the topic of a potential acquisition came up? Yeah, it was it was during one of our chats. I mean, <laughs> it was interesting. Like the first the first kind of coffee turned into you know uh, turned into you know us ending up. You know, uh, at 3 a.m. in the morning, like still talking about like design history and art artists we like and inspirations we have, etc. Um, so, so that went pretty deep pretty quickly. But then it was like, yeah, it was just just you know talking about how we could potentially work closer together. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, it was just like, hey, you know, like. Um, you know, what would this look like if we worked even closer together? Right. Um, and I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, and so that's kind of, you know, where, where, where that threat took root. Was an exit always the goal for you and, and Cron? I mean, some sort of exit is like IPO or acquisition, like kind of like the right. two types of successful exits that you have basically as a right. startup company. Um, and so in that sense, yes, uh, some exit was always the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, was uh, like a relatively, you know, quick exit to go, like not at all, um, uh, was um, an acquisition exit being acquired to go, like, no, I think, you know, I, going IPO is like obviously fantastic as well. Um, here, like a lot of things aligned very neatly, um, uh, relatively quickly. And so um, even though it was not a goal, it was a very attractive option. 
And can you reveal some numbers on the deal? Of course, everybody's so curious, like, how did the deal look like? For how much did they acquire you? Any number that you can share? Yeah, we, we don't share any numbers publicly on the, on the deal. And uh, you know, I was, was talking a little bit to, to other founders and, and people. It's like, so how do you make the decision to share or not mm -hmm. share? Um, and um, and I, th I think really like the only reason, I mean, there may be like there's some regulatory like for, for some mega deals, if I don't know, like Time Warner buys X and there's maybe some regulatory aspects to it. Um, but for, for other things, like it, it came down mostly to uh, kind of like, I think, basically like ego right like yeah. just like being able to say like you know and we just we, we decided to to uh yeah like we, we we didn't share any numbers on the deal so let me ask differently without sharing any number you know the timing is it was a challenging market environment right you know many startups were like reporting down routes or had difficulties to raise money it actually wasn't yet at the time okay right when, when you were talking yeah about when it, we signed when the term sheet it, okay. it was yeah. it was still you know the heyday <laughs> okay that's, that's good so ask differently you your investors you yourself were you happy with the outcome from a financial perspective yeah sure okay perfect so now we of course also wonder what happens after the acquisition so you still work on Cron, but you're now part of, of Notion, obviously. Yep. What can we expect? How will you develop the product? What new features and changes will, will happen over time? Yeah, so we are continuing um, executing uh, on the roadmap, just as we you know, were um, uh, with Cron. And um, we're basically just getting more resources faster, right? Hiring is super challenging. Um, as, as a small team has always been like a big, big challenge. Um, it's, it takes up a huge amount of time with the founder, but I also love to design and love to build. Um, and so, you know, now we can kind of like plug into like a whole engine, a whole machinery there. So it just means like, you know, everything we wanted to do just, you know, faster and, and working with the talented folks over at, at Notion as well. One thing that we will do eventually is, is kind of bring it more on the, on, under the umbrella of, of Notion. Um, so probably, you know, gonna gonna do a re, uh, a rebrand. I'm I'm excited uh, about myself. You know, it's kind of like Notion calendar. I think Notion has a fantastic brand. Um, I love the Chrome brand as well. Um, uh, but uh, that's that's something we're gonna do once we get closer with you know integrations and all of that. But right now we're just executing on our roadmap. Great. And for you personally, how does this exit change your life? What's next for you, Rafael? Yeah. So it um, it changed. So next for me is is cron <laughs> is is cron notion calendar um so there's really not much changing there um i think it's just going to get bigger faster mm -hmm. um i most recently just moved to new york myself um to be part of the you know growing notion office here um headquarters are in california we're i'm going to open more offices internationally as well um, so there has been kind of like personal personal change there. Um, other than that, I'm trying to keep my um, my life like pretty uh, pr pretty uh, similar as before. I'm uh, you know wor love working with computers and uh, <laughs> and sitting you know at my computer all day every day um, crafting software. With the exit, usually you also make some money as a founder, obviously, right? Is there any purchase or investment that you made with the exit? Of your company? Yeah, I haven't. Um, I always tr try to kind of surround myself with, you know, beautiful, high-quality objects. Um, you know, if I have no money or if I have money. Um, and so, even when I was a student, like I would like save up or even like work extra jobs um, to like you know buy one, you know, really well-designed, high-quality item. Uh, and and make kind of like investments in, in in that way. I also think there's just like too much stuff in the world, um, too many wasteful kind of like you know we waste too many resources with too many items. Um, and so I've always had you know, high few high quality items in my life, expensive items sometimes. Um, and uh, and and so um, even if I had no money, uh, and so I haven't acquired anything since, uh, the acquisition. Um, uh, but I had already, you know, things that I kind of cherish from, from, from way back. Great. So to wrap up our conversations, we like to ask some rapid fire questions. So I'm going to either give you a short question or different options to choose from, and you have to answer in one sentence, ideally. All right. I'll, I'll try my best. Let's see. You're ready. Ready. First one, New York or San Francisco? All right, so New York for the hustle, San Francisco for the spirit. 
How about that? I like that. Good combination. What's your favorite book on design? Rastersysteme by Josef Müller Brockmann. And we're also actually going to put a thread on your Twitter account in our show notes because there you have a whole list of more books that you recommend. That's right. Yeah, when I when I clean out my burn apartment, I took a photo um, of a bunch of kind of like a selection of my favorite design books. Yeah. Design, development, or marketing? You put me on a spot. So I, I really think it, you need to execute all three on the highest level to have an impactful product best in class. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a designer through and through. Fair point. What do you wish you could be more organized about? Ah, so many things. Um, I mean, books I read, right? Like I think um, Goodreads is, su is such a missed opportunity. Yeah. Or the people I meet, there's some interesting stuff happening um, kind of in the personal CRM space, etc. Yeah. And then surprisingly, maybe, of course, also my time. <laughs> um, that's why I'm, you know, we're, we're, we're building Cron. Great. And without Cron, in a world with no Cron, would you prefer a digital calendar or a paper planner? You know, I think there's not no really, really a choice. You can't really participate in the modern workplace professionally without a digital calendar. So I feel like there's not really a choice. And this is also why I think it's such a huge opportunity to build an next generation calendar, because it's basic for a billion people. Exactly. And the last one for you, United States or Switzerland? All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with uh, I'm gonna leave you with a picture there okay. um, that depicts kind of how I always went about life and and uh, and about my my design practice as well and also how I think about these two countries. Keep your head in the clouds and your feet on the ground. I see where that is coming from. That's a beautiful <laughs> sentence to end the conversation. Rafael, thank you so much for coming on this show. Lots of success and all the best with whatever you're tackling with Cron or potentially new companies in the future. All the best. We're very excited to see what you're building. Thank you so much, Silvan. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs>